Hi, and welcome to the Cheer Boss Podcast. My name is Emma Slater, and I am your host. We are here to talk everything cheer. Whether you're a coach or a gym owner, this podcast is for you. So let's get ready to elevate your skills and knowledge so you can dominate both on and off the mat. Ready? Okay. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Cheer Boss Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about everything choreography. So I know for some of you, you pay to get outside choreographers into your gyms to choreograph the routines for your teams, Uh, but others of you choreograph your own routines. And I think that's great. If you can keep everything in-house, that saves both you and your customers money, which is only going to be a great thing. And I truly believe that anybody can come up with a great routine. You just need to make sure you've got some right tools to get you started on the right track. Now, you might think that you're not very creative or you don't have a lot of good ideas and so you can't possibly choreograph your own routine. But in my mind, there's two parts that make up a great routine. One is a massive mathematical equation. If you uh, take a look at the score sheet and the scoring rubric, you really need to crunch the numbers to work out exactly what you need to put in your routine to hit that scorecard. And then the other half is coming up with all the creative ideas. But you'll be surprised at what you can do once you have a good formula to help keep you on track. There's a few questions that I like to have answered before I start choreographing a routine. So the first thing is, how many people are on your team? You're going to need to know that so you can work out how many people you need to have stunting, how many stunt groups you need, how many tumblers you need, how many basket tosses you need, and things like that. If you're choreographing a co-ed team, it's also important to know how many males you have on the team because that's going to affect some of the stunting that you need to include in your routine. When it comes to tumbling, you're going to need to know how many of your athletes have level appropriate skills. So you're going to want to make sure that you work out how many have both the level appropriate standing tumbling and the level appropriate running tumbling, because you're going to need to know that to work out your passes when you come to choreographing the routine. So once you have the answers to those questions, the next thing that you're going to want to do is pull out the scoring rubric. The scoring rubric is really your go-to resource to work out exactly what you need to include in your routine. Each event company will most likely have their own scoring system, but for those of you who are in Australia, um, for the most part, we use the AXA scoring system. So um, pretty much every event provider that you go to in Australia is going to use that. You obviously want to make sure with the event provider that that's what they use, but you're going to use that AXA scoring rubric and scoring guide to work out exactly what skills you're going to put in your routine. So to start, you're going to want to calculate how many stunt groups you need for your routine. So for an all-girl team, the easiest way to do this is take your total number of team members and divide by four. This will give you the maximum amount of stunt groups you can make. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's how many stunt groups you have to have. So for example, if you have 20 athletes on your team and you divide that by four, that gives you five. So therefore, the maximum amount of all-girl stunt groups you can make with four in a group is five groups. However, according to the building quantity chart, if you have a team of 20 to 23 members, you actually, to hit the scoring rubric, 
only have to have a maximum of four teams so or four stunt groups. So that means that you can either choose to make four groups. You might want to have four groups that all have front spots or you might make want to make five groups and that can up the difficulty of your score. I personally, coming from a small gym, tend to err on the side of caution. And so I potentially, for the most part in the routine, might only use four stunt groups. And then I know I have some extra people left over. So that way, if anybody is away sick or injured or any of those kind of circumstances arise, it means my team can still train and still compete pretty much as normal. I always take that on a case-by-case basis, though. So potentially in a level one team where the kids and the families are newer to cheer, I might like to have that wiggle room to allow people to swap in. However, on a higher level, more elite team where they know the rules, their expectations are very clear of being at class, I might not have all those spare people. It really is up to you and what works for your situation, but as long as you meet the minimum criteria for the scoring rubric, you'll be going good. So next up, when it comes to the stunting skills in your routine, you're going to want to work out exactly what building skills you're going to include. So in general, you need to have at least four level appropriate skills and two of those need to be elite skills. So as a general rule, I like to make sure I include at least three elite skills. So just in case if one doesn't hit, another one will be able to carry me over for that. Another tip that you can do and wherever possible, go for all elite skills to really up your difficulty. You do, of course, though, want to make sure you consider your team's skill level and always remember that well-executed level-appropriate skills will be more beneficial to your team than poorly executed elite skills. So make sure that you hit that rubric with at least your two elite skills and then with whatever other level-appropriate skills you include, whether they're elite or level-appropriate, you want to make sure that they're done with the best technique possible to help your technique score. I always try to keep in mind safety over difficulty every time. So you also need to make sure that you're going to hit either your all-girl quantity score or the co-ed stunt score. So you'll need to make sure that you refer to the scoring rubric to work out exactly what you need to have in, in your routine, but you just need to make sure that you consider that. So not only your building skill difficulty, but then also the quantity score as well. So if you're coaching or choreographing for a level two team or above, you also need to make sure that you have your basket toss in your routine. The basket toss part of the score sheet is really a numbers and execution game. It's not necessary for the entire team to do a basket toss. And in fact, it can negatively impact your score if they aren't all executed well. So what you want to make sure that you do is refer again to the scoring rubric and work out how many basket tosses you actually need to have in your routine and consider consider that against how well um, your team executes their basket tosses and work out how many you want to put in. But do remember Once you meet the minimum requirement for difficulty in the basket toss, you can't score any higher. So my recommendation is do the minimum amount of tosses that you need to do and use the rest of your athletes in your routine either for creative transitions or tumble or something else at that time. 
So you've worked out how many groups you need to have. You've worked out how what stunts that you need to include, what tosses you need to include. Now it's important to make sure you add some wow factor to your stunt sequences in your routine. So this is in the form of your creativity. So judges love to see clean, well-executed skills with outstanding technique, but they love to be wowed with interesting and original entries, transitions, and exits during a stunt sequence. So I always try to come up with at least one creative visual effect in each of these three areas. So I try to have a creative visual effect in the entry to the stunt. I try to have a creative visual effect in at least one transitional skill between stunt to stunt. And I try to have a creative exit out of the stunt. So of course you can be more creative and try to have every single skill that you put in there, a creative way to get in and out of it and the way they all connect together. But when you're first starting out, trying to hit the marker with an entry, a transition and an exit is a really great way to get you started. And it's really important to try and come up with something original. You really want to have some sort of surprise element that is going to wow the judges on the day. That's going to give you the best shot at really improving your creative creativity score there. Okay, so next up we're going to talk pyramid. So with your pyramid, that of course is any section in your routine where two or more stunts connect together with some sort of brace. So you need to work out what building skills you're going to include within that pyramid. So in general, you need to have at least four different level appropriate skills and you need to also make sure that at least two structures are performed by most of the team. Again, when it comes to the pyramid, you need to make sure you remember safety over difficulty every time. When it comes to creating your pyramid, a great thing to try and do is have something happening on every one, three, five and seven. Now that can be quite hard. That doesn't have to be a different skill on every one of those counts, but that could be something going up. That could be a motion that's been hit. That could be a body position that's been hit. It could be a different visual effect that happens on each of those accounts. But if you can try and have something happening on each of those counts, you're going to have a really fantastic pyramid. You, of course, want to make sure that you're realistic when you are creating that pyramid. You can have all the most amazing ideas in the world, but if your athletes can't execute it, you're going to need to make sure you bring that back because after all, you're going to want a well-executed pyramid to score well. So a few things to keep in mind when it comes to the execution of your pyramid is the timing. So making sure that both sides of the pyramid are going up and down at the same time, making sure that the flyers are all bracing on the same count. You're going to want to make sure the spacing is on point. Generally, when it comes to a pyramid, you want to use the lines and the gaps for your pyramid. So one group on the line, one group on the gap, the next group on the line, the next group on the gap. And if you can do that, you're going to have a really nicely, evenly spaced pyramid. You're going to want to make sure that you're watching your bases technique throughout the pyramid. And you're going to want to also make sure you're watching the flyers technique throughout the pyramid. There are four key things that you can make sure you keep an eye on to watch your execution of your pyramid. 
And of course, you want to have some wow factor when it comes to your pyramid as well. Pyramid creativity is a section on the score sheet and you want to try and create something that's going to wake the judges up and make them feel excited and surprise them and make them really enjoy the pyramid that you've put on the floor. There's a few different ways that I like to try and add some creativity into my pyramid. So the first thing is a creative way to get into the pyramid. So some sort of creative stunt entry. Again, the way that you connect the stunts together with the stunt transitions. If you can come up with something unique and slightly different, that will be fantastic. And the way you exit out of the pyramid and the come down out of the stunts. If you can do something unique, that would be great. Also, you can consider the way that the formation is on the floor. So you don't necessarily want to have your pyramid just smack bang in the center of the floor. You might want to have it asymmetrical on one side of the floor, or you might want to have two separate pyramids that come together to make one pyramid. You can be creative with the way the pyramid is placed on the floor. It might not face the front, it might face the diagonal, or it might turn around during the pyramid sequence. Another thing that I really like to do is have my pyramid move. So they might hit a structure and then while they're holding that structure, we move for four counts to the side or forwards or backwards or turn to the diagonal, for example. And then another really great thing that you can do is try to create some levels and some layers within your pyramid. So for example, you might have a group of three connected stunts out the front and then you might have another two groups behind and they might go up and down at different times and hit their structures one after the other like a a cannon perhaps. And creating some sort of unique look like that can really add some creativity to your pyramid. Basically, the more original and the more surprise elements you can include, the better. So next up, we're going to talk about jumps. So firstly, not everybody in your team has to jump. So what you want to do is you want to check the scoring rubric and work out how many people you have in your team and then work out how many people you actually have to have jump. It's a little bit like the basket tosses. You don't necessarily want to have everybody jump, especially if not everybody on your team has excellent technique. After all, the jump score is capped. So as long as you have the minimum amount of people required jumping and they do the required jumps, the three advanced jumps, you will get that maximum difficulty score. So don't feel like you have to use everybody because remember there's going to be both the difficulty score and the execution score. So it's smarter to use your best jumpers and meet that minimum amount and do the very best jumps you possibly can. I always want to say that you want to show the judges your strengths. So don't show them what you can't do, only show them what you can do. So as I just mentioned, your team will need to show three advanced jumps. So that can either be three connected jumps or it can be two connected jumps plus an additional jump, all of which must be advanced jumps and they must be synchronized and include a variety. So for example, you can't just do three toe touches. You must show a variety. So you can choose from toe touch, pike or forward hurdler. They're the main three that people would choose. You can connect your jumps to standing tumbling. However, that will not affect your jump score at all. 
as far as difficulty. So it's up to you to decide whether you would like to have a jump connected to standing tumbling to make sure that you have a level appropriate standing tumbling skill. However, you also need to weigh up whether connecting that jump to a standing tumbling skill is going to affect the execution of your jumps. So again, it's just a bit of a balancing act and working out what is going to be most beneficial for your team. Okay, so we're going to move on to tumbling now and we're going to start with standing tumbling. So again, you're going to need to make sure you work out the minimum amount of people that you need to have performing your standing tumbling skills. So as long as you meet the minimum, you will get in the high range. But again, the more people that you have do the skills, the higher you will score within that difficulty range. So in general, for most levels, it says in the rubric that most of the team performs the same level appropriate pass, which must be synchronized from initiation of the pass, plus majority of the team performs an additional level appropriate pass. So you just need to run the numbers on that and make sure that you've got that covered. When it comes to standing tumbling, the more you do, the higher you will score with difficulty And of course, you need to consider your execution because again, you only want to put in what's going to score well. You don't want to put in a whole bunch of extra skills if they're going to have poor execution because that's just going to bring your score down. When it comes to running tumbling, again, you need to work out how many passes you need to have in your routine. So Again, calculate the total number of team members you have and then refer to the rubric and it will tell you the minimum amount that you need to have. It states that most of the team performs a level appropriate pass. So they don't have to be synchronized at this point. So you can recycle people to do tumbling passes if you don't have enough individual athletes to do the required amount of passes. However, just like the standing tumbling, the more people that you have doing the passes, the higher you will score in the difficulty score. Another way to increase your difficulty score for both the standing tumbling and running tumbling is to come up with a variety of passes. So we call those specialty passes. So it might not just be sort of a standard round off back handspring, for example. You might want to be creative and connect a variety of skills and that can help increase your difficulty score for your tumbling passes. So as I said, you need to make sure that you consider your execution for both your jumps and your tumbling. So some things to consider are your timing and your spacing. And then reading directly from the scoring rubric, it refers to for your tumble skill execution, the approach, the speed, the body control, the landings, and the synchronization. So there's some really easy things that you can be focusing on to make sure that your athletes are executing it well. And then when it comes to jumps execution, the approach, the arm placement, the leg placement, the landings and synchronization. So again, that's an easy way for you to keep an eye on your routine um, and make sure that it's hitting the score sheet. And lastly, we're going to talk about the dance break. So the dance break is normally the fun finale of the routine and it's a personal favorite part of the routine of mine as well. Normally, I personally like to allocate a minimum of four lots of eight counts for the end dance, but sometimes I like to use five lots of eight, depending on the team and how the routine has been choreographed as a whole. 
There isn't a specific scoring rubric when it comes to the dance break. Basically, the judges will be looking for a variety of things. So they're going to be looking at formations, formation changes, levels in the choreography, the intricacy of the choreography. They're going to be looking at footwork, motion placement, floor work. They're going to want to see a range of creative visual effects that's created throughout that dance. And of course, it needs to be high energy throughout the entire end dance break. Now, of course, you don't have to have the dance break at the end of your routine. Traditionally, that's where it tends to go. But It is kind of a trend that some teams like to end with the pyramid, for example, so they might have the dance break in the middle of the routine. It's really up to you how you want to put it together. And that brings me to how you're going to structure your routine as far as the order goes. So traditionally for a routine, I like to have an opening sequence followed by a stunt sequence, which will then normally go into a jump and tumble sequence, followed by the pyramid, followed by the dance break. However, that is just the way that I like to do it and you can do it however you want. As long as you hit the score sheet and you have all your bases covered, you can put it however you like and that might be really original and really great and nice and refreshing for the judges to see. Generally, I have only one stunt sequence in my routine and one pyramid sequence in my routine. However, again, that changes depending on the level and also the makeup of the team. So for example, in a level one routine, because we uh, utilize waist level stunts and sometimes I might only use groups of three as opposed to groups of four for that, I might actually have two stunt sequences. So I might have one stunt sequence that is like a dual base groups of three focusing on single leg waist level stunts. And then I might have another stunt sequence slightly later in the routine where I'm utilizing the groups of fours and have a different set of stunts that I use there to hit the score sheet. Same with the pyramid. Traditionally, I will just do one pyramid, but depending on the team, I might do too. So some examples are a few years ago, I had quite a small team. They were level two. And so I had a mini pyramid at the start, which utilized two dual basing groups and a regular stunt group. And that was at the start of the routine. And then towards the end of the routine, I made a pyramid of just two full stunt groups. So I kind of hit the score sheet that way by doing that. However, I've also had teams where I've just included a very small pyramid in the opening, mainly for visual effects. However, it's still counted towards my pyramid score. Another place where people like to put them sometimes is in the running tumbling section. So if you have a team where perhaps only 50% of the team have the level appropriate skills, you might want to have the tumblers tumbling and then everybody else performing a pyramid somewhere on the floor. That can be an effective use of time throughout your routine. When it comes to the basket toss, I don't normally have a section for basket tosses, normally because I'm not using the whole team for the basket tosses. So I'll often either put my basket tosses either in the opening for some sort of wow factor at the very beginning of the routine, or again, often I'll put it during the running tumbling sequence. I'll utilize my non-tumblers at that point. 
I also like to use my opening of the routine to get some tumbling in as well. So I'll often include both some standing and some running tumbling in the opening of my routine. One, because it looks great and it's a great way to start the routine. But two, it just helps up my difficulty score by adding a few more skills that I can fit in there before um, the next section that I might do later with jumps and standing tumbling and running tumbling later on in the routine. And lastly, it's just important to try and keep those visual effects going the entire routine. You want to make sure that your routine sort of isn't just section, 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 and they do something, stop, walk, and they go to the next thing. You want your routine to flow and have so many different creative visual effects going on as one part of the routine flows into the next that it's just sort of one spectacle after the other. So that's what you're really trying to achieve to keep everybody excited and engaged in your routine the entire time and really trying to cover any sort of dead spots or low points in the routine where it sort of looks like everybody's doing nothing. You're going to want to try and fill those parts of the routine with something visual and creative at that time. So I hope some of those tips were helpful. That's just got me started when it comes to choreography, but that's um, the way that I like to start off putting my routines together. And from there, I go on to try and create a, a masterpiece for my teams. If you have any questions about choreography, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. I would love to help you however I can. Thank you so much for listening to the Cheer Boss podcast. To make sure that you do not miss an episode, make sure you subscribe. And if you could take a second to rate and review, that will help this podcast get to more gym owners just like you. And don't forget, for more Cheer Boss goodness, make sure you follow me on Instagram at cheer.boss.emma, on Facebook, Cheer Boss Emma, and my website, cheerboss.net. Chat soon.